52 down, 313 to go. My name is Chris. This is At A Thin Near Me, the podcast where I go to the movie theaters every single day for an entire year. Uh, today, I'm going to be talking about the movies Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, as well as Breaking Bread. Uh, I do want to discuss the Luna Theater that's located in Lowell, Massachusetts. It is concessions month, of course, so I'm going to be talking about milk duds on this episode, as well as give a box office report. Before we get into any of that, uh, it wouldn't be an episode of Out of the Near Me in the winter unless we talk about snow. So it looks like, you know, it's very mild temperatures right now. It might even hit 60 degrees where I am in New Hampshire on Wednesday, uh, which is ridiculously warm. Uh, but on Friday, it appears to be another snowstorm coming. And it looks like this could be anywhere from six inches to a foot. Uh, I really can't leave the area this weekend. I have family stuff going on, uh, taking the, the nieces and nephew to Legoland uh, as the, later on in the weekend. So I, it's not like I can go to Albany or Stanford this particular weekend. So I'm going to just have to tough it out. So it might mean me jumping in, the, jumping in the old Subaru and just driving around on Friday until I find a theater that's open. I'll update you guys more on that. Uh, you think the next episode of this will come out on on Thursday. So uh, hopefully I'll have more of an update there on the weather and what my time frame is going to be. I originally was going to see the movie Power of the Dog in Massachusetts on Friday. That was like 8 o'clock p.m. showing, but I might scrap that and might just have to, to kind of see whatever is available. I'll have Ned Snark with me on Thursday, so he'll probably just, he's in Florida, so he'll probably just be laughing at me when I tell him about the snow. Uh, okay, so let's talk Luna Theater here. The Luna Theater is located in Lowell, Massachusetts, and it's one of the most unusual theaters I've uh, I've gone to. It's located in an old mill building. If you know what kind of that area in northern Massachusetts, you have, you know, Lowell and Lawrence and a lot of these old mill towns. And this the theater is located in the fourth floor of a old 1873 textile mill. Uh, the mill also is used for uh, for residents, like, you know, for condos, apartments. And there's a mill right across the street uh, that has uh, that's used for residents as well. It right, I'd say, I don't know, maybe 100 feet away, maybe 200 feet away is a garage, a parking garage as well. The good news is free parking for me because I went on Friday uh, after 6 p.m. I guess after 6 p.m. in Lowell is free parking and on Sunday is free parking as well. So uh, good news for uh, upcoming budget month. I'll have a budget update next episode as well. The Luna Theater is located in mill number five. It's the fourth floor of this mill. So you take the elevator up and then right when you walk into the hallway, it's this really unique, interesting space. Um, it's pretty long hallway and it's all these little shops, whether it be a record store or a bookstore or they have a little restaurant in there. Uh, and these spaces are all pretty small. They have other like kind of like gift shop places too. One place is all like pop culture themed, um, like t-shirts or kind of like tchotchkes. Up and down the hallway, they, they use light in a really creative way. It's, it's just kind of like string light, but it just makes it feel, I don't know, really unique. And walking in from the cold, you know, you're surrounded by kind of these brutish mills. And then, you, you know, you the elevator open door was up and you're in this like really quaint little but long hallway. Oh, it just feels really like warm and homey. It, it's a really nice nice place. Um, perfect place to bring, you know, to bring the girlfriend or the wife. They want to do some shopping beforehand. It's just, it, it's, it feels like not what you'd expect. Um, especially in a low mill, you might not expect kind of this like really artsy, crafty kind of hallway. Uh, but that's what you get. And it just shows you that like, you know, some of these towns, whether it be, you know, Lowell, Lawrence, any of these, these towns, you know, science have these neat little spots that can offer way more than you might expect. And, you know, I was thinking like, 
I don't know, it might not be the worst in the world to, to live here. You know, right across the street from your apartment or your condo, or, you know, if you're in your 20s or 30s and you're kind of looking for that apartment living, uh, to have a movie theater that plays interesting movies and have all these cool shops like a bookstore, you know, either in your building or right across the street from your building, that's pretty convenient and pretty neat. Uh, I don't know, this was a really, it's like a hidden gem here. So, you know, if you're in that whole area, I definitely recommend checking out mill number five. So at the end of the hallway is the Luna Theater, and it's a really unusual place to watch your film. Um, they have these large plush chairs, red plush chairs that you sit in. Um, so it's not like traditional movie theater chairs at all. Between each chair is a like a like a mini table, but also some drink holders. So that was that was a nice little touch, I thought. I, I don't know if I'd say the chairs are the most comfortable. Like the reclining chairs you get at like an AMC or um, a Regal are probably more comfortable, but it's certainly more comfortable than some of like the the cinema chairs you might have sat in back in the you know the 80s or 90s and it is also just kind of unique and it definitely makes you feel like you're someplace special as opposed to uh traditional run-of-the-mill amc theater like you definitely feel like you're somewhere unique they do however i guess if you're gonna fall from anything they take the unique thing to maybe heights it doesn't necessarily need to go like for instance the only sodas you can buy there are polar products so you, you know you have to like buy like like seltzer cola or the the polar root beer which is which is fine they, i had both they were both were perfectly okay but like i just wanted a coke you know like I, you don't need to be different and quirky and say maybe all the time um they're very heavy duty with the vax card so if you don't have you know if you're not fully vaccinated don't go there. You won't be able to get in. They checked my card. They must have spent like a minute and a half looking at my ID and my and my Vax card. Definitely take it very seriously, which is fine. It's their prerogative, obviously. But just be aware of that. Uh, they do have some fun touches, though. If you you know some of the quirky touches are certainly fun. So if you go uh, right before you walk into the theater, they have like five or six old arcade games. And one of the games they had was Paperboy. In the late '80s, Paperboy was my absolute favorite video game. I love that game. Um, if you if you're younger and don't know, uh, it's it's exactly what it sounds like. You're basically a video game version of throwing newspapers on front lawns while you try to kind of avoid like different you know, whether it be dogs or potholes or things like that, that would, you know, kill you, if you will, in the game. Uh, but Paperboy is awesome. It was a really fun game. I, next time I go to Luna Theater, I might try to get there early and just play a couple rounds of Paperboy. I, I really loved that game growing up. I feel like that was like a favorite game until, arcade game, until, you know, you run into the NBA Jam and Mortal Kombat and that sort of thing. But, uh, you know, for a good, like, two, three-year stretch, you couldn't beat Paperboy. So one of the things Luna Theater does that I think is pretty neat, I don't know if it's necessarily the best fit for this project, but it's called Weirdo Wednesdays, and they play horror movies, science fiction movies, like really obscure, maybe cult favorites, uh, or maybe movies you never even heard of. On Wednesdays, you it's free. You have to register beforehand, but you don't know what the movie is going to be until you sit down and watch it. Uh, and obviously, the theater makes the money on the concessions, you know, whether it be beer or soda or popcorn, whatever. That could be a fun, bizarre night, especially if you like, lived in that area. If you were, like, you know, if you lived across the street or in that building, that would be like a great way to spend a Wednesday night. All in all, Luna Theater definitely a neat place. I'm super happy it exists for this project. Um, that's where I saw Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, which is, you know, obviously a movie that came out 15 years ago. I also saw that movie Strawberry Mansion there. Didn't really like Strawberry Mansion, but it's only playing in I think 28 theaters across the country. So, you know, to be able to see some of these movies that you're literally not going to be able to see anywhere else in this whether it be this like area, I would say even maybe this region. I definitely like support what they're doing there. Uh, and if you're looking for something to do and you're in that general area, it's definitely worth the trip. Um, so I'll, this will not be the last time I go to Luna Theater. 
Let's talk box office. So number one this week, we have a new number one, number one by a mile, is Uncharted. This movie is based on a video game. It stars Tom Holland uh, and Mark Wahlberg. It made $43.8 million in its opening weekend. Sony must be ecstatic with that. That is a giant number for a non-Marvel opening. Tom Holland is killing it right now. Uncharted has a video game audience. Spider-Man has the Marvel IP. But he's proving himself to be a legitimate movie star. Like, he's someone that can open a movie. Because, you know, Uncharted, I know it has the video game background, but that's still a mammoth number, especially in a COVID era. That's a lot of money. Number two is Dog, made $14.9 million. Uh, that's with Channing Tatum. Uh, it's the first week of release. Uh, I bet United Artists is happy with that. Both those movies are going to be in theaters, I think, for at least a few weeks here. Uncharted, months. Um, so those are movies, obviously, I'm not looking to see anytime soon. So now let's talk about kind of that second tier. We have number three is Spider-Man No Way Home. This is the first time Spider-Man's been in the second tier. It made $7.1 million, but it's still doing really well. Uh, it dropped out of 344 theaters last week, but it's still in almost 3,000. Having said that, it only lost 5% from the week before, which is a minuscule drop, especially when you consider the fact that it was in less theaters. $2,400 per theater, that's a really high number in this era, so uh, Spider-Man, I think, is going to be sticking around for a while. Number four is Death on the Nile. That was number one last week, and that had the opposite effect uh, that Spider-Man had. This had a mammoth drop-off. It dropped 49% from week one to week two. It only made $6.5 million. This isn't a movie I'm going to be seeing this week or even the week after, but... Once we get into early mid-March, that this is a movie I probably will need to be seeing soon. Uh, it made 20, it's made $25 million over the two weeks, so it's not a disaster by any stretch, but uh, it looks like people who wanted to see it already have seen it. Number five is Jackass Forever. It made $5.1 million. That's in its third week in release. That's not a movie I think I need to see immediately, but the wheels are starting to fall off a little bit, uh, but still... Pretty good number. Number six is Marry Me, made $3.7 million. That's more troubling than Jackass just because it's in the second week in release. Um, but I don't think these are any of those movies are anything I need to see before uh, the month's over here. So those are all slated for March for me. Number seven is Sing 2. I've already seen it. Uh, made $2.8 million. Number eight is Scream. I've already seen it. Made $1.9 million. Number nine is The Cursed. So now we're in that tier three. And I think the next three movies are movies that are going to be staying in the theaters the next week and a half or so. So number nine, like I said, is The Cursed. It made 1.7 million. It's its opening weekend release. It actually debuted in 1,600 theaters, which is pretty shocking for a movie that really wasn't marketed very much at all. Its distributor is LD Entertainment. I don't know much about them at all. Um, I think it's just a situation where there's just no real new movies coming out. So I think theaters are happy to take anything. Uh, but this movie just didn't make any money. So I can't imagine it's going to be in theaters for too much longer. So I want to see it before the two weeks are, are up here and it really starts to drop out of theater. So I might even see that this weekend. Number 10 is Blacklight. That's the Liam Neeson uh, movie. It's second week in release, made $1.7 It dropped 50% from the week before. This is a movie I think you're going to see vanish pretty quick. No one was really excited to see this. You know, you wonder with the Liam Neeson action movie, that's obviously kind of playing to an older male crowd. And like, you know, we've seen with movies like Uncharted or Spider-Man, movies that appeal to younger males doing great. That's fine. Scream, um, you know, younger audiences, those movies can still exist and do well. But if it's appealing to an older audience, there's just no real audience for it right now. I think older audiences are still seen really scared to go out because of COVID. Um, so Blacklight, I think I even have a guest for that episode potentially in the next week and a half. So I think I'll be seeing that uh, very shortly. Number 11 is Moonfall. 
this is a movie I will be seeing, uh, I believe, by the end of the weekend as well. Moonfall made $1 million. Uh, it's made $17 million so far. Third week in release. Total disaster for Lionsgate. This is a movie directed by Roland Emmerich. You know, directed Independence Day. Has a fairly he- heavy-duty cast with Patrick Wilson, Halle Berry. Has a lot of special effects. Lionsgate's definitely going to take a pretty big bath on that. That's pretty disastrous showing for Moonfall. Got really bad reviews. It just no one was really interested or excited to see this movie. So uh, that's what I'll be seeing soon. And then the rest of the list here, number 12 is Licorice Pizza. Made 643000 Number 13 is The Worst Person in the World. Um, this is the uh, foreign film from Norway. It's gotten a couple Oscar nominations. Um, this episode is coming out on Tuesday, uh, and you'll, I'll be seeing this movie later today. Uh, number 14 is Encanto. Made 433000 West Side Stories, 15th. 16th is Drive My Car, 17th Belfast, 18th Parallel Mothers, 19th Redeeming Love, and 20th is The King's Man. I've seen all of those movies already. Uh, yeah, so I guess the movies kind of I'm looking at right now as I plan my next week is going to be Blacklight, Moonfall, and The Cursed. Let's talk Milk Duds. Milk Duds are a pretty good candy. I think the chocolate tastes pretty good, which is interesting. I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, the caramel's okay. I mean, watching a movie... You pop the candy in. You don't eat it too quick. You kind of enjoy the chocolate. You enjoy that caramel. It's a pretty decent movie candy. It's not It's not terrible. I like it more than some of the other chocolate ones we've had. I said I'm not a huge chocolate guy, but I'm a big caramel fan. I will say, though, if I'm like looking for that kind of flavor, I would probably go, if I was like not in a movie theater, if I was just at like a convenience store, I'd probably go for a score bar. Those are the, if you've ever had a score bar, it has like the English toffee with the chocolate. It has a similar taste to it from the chocolate to like that caramel tasting that toffee tasting but it's just the caramel can be kind of a pain in the ass to eat with the milk duds all in all it's not bad um it's certainly not top tier candy for me but like i think it just comes down to being a chocolate guy or not being a chocolate guy so like you know i i like the the gummy bears or the sour patch kids and you know if you're more chocolate inclined I can see really liking the milk duds. Certainly way better than, you know, snow caps, those horrible things. The name is interesting. So it's milk, obviously, because they at a time, there was a large amount of milk that was put into the, the milk duds. That's since changed. Uh, but it's called a dud because it was actually supposed to be a sphere. And uh, when they produced them, they realized they couldn't do that. So hence the name milk duds. Uh, they were created in 1928. It's the same year as Nestle Crunch. Pretty big year for candy. Uh, and it was invented by the Hoffman and Company in Chicago. It's changed hands a few times, but it's been owned by Hershey since 1996, which is interesting because Hershey, even though, I don't know, when I think Hershey, I think I think chocolate. You know, Nestle, I think a number of things. You know, they have the bottled water, they have other things. But we talked about with Nestle Crunch how um, a few years ago, um, before Nestle sold to Ferraro, Nestle kind of doubled down on the cocoa uh, beans. And they said, all right, we're going to pay our farmers uh, a better wage and we're going to make sure we use 100% cocoa and like they really kind of made a, the cocoa a priority where Hershey even though when I think Hershey all I think about is chocolate they went the other way and in fact they cut out the cocoa butter in the milk dud and a number and a couple other uh, items as well and they use oil substitutes instead and when they did that they actually had to change their labeling on their boxes and and they cannot legally say anymore that it's coated in milk chocolate they have to say it's like chocolate covered or, but they can't say milk chocolate anymore because of the removal of the cocoa butter. So I was surprised that Hershey was like cutting corners like that. So if you've noticed a change in milk duds from like pre-2008 to now, like you're not going crazy. They, they changed the, 
the recipe, which I said, like I said, it's funny to me because I actually kind of like the chocolate taste of the milk dud. Like I've never been a huge milk dud person, so I don't really know if it was different than 2008 or not. Like I couldn't taste the difference. I I, I only had them like maybe a Halloween or randomly. Uh, I was just surprised to see Hershey cutting corners like that. Milk duds will be in the poll. I'll be putting a poll out today uh, to see which candy will make it to the finals. It's going to be milk duds, bunch of crunch, the Haribo gold bears, and raisinets. Uh, to make it to the finals. And right now uh, in the final four so far are Reese's Pieces and Twizzlers. So one of those candies will be joining those two. Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind. Uh, so this is a great movie. Uh, I love this movie. Give, give me an A minus. Uh, I was super excited to see it playing at the Luna. Um, I immediately uh, put it on my list to check it out. It's it's such an interesting and creative movie. And I think it tackles breakups in such a a novel way that also, even though it has kind of like those weird sci-fi elements, it also feels really relatable. We've all, I'm sure, gone through breakups where you're just, it's the grief from a breakup is just so crushing. So I can understand in that moment, you just want to erase that person out of your mind. You just don't want to don't want to deal with, with that memory anymore. It's just too painful. Uh, and the, the performances, especially by Carrie, Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet are just fantastic. I really love Michelle Gondry's direction here. You know, it's different. You know, we talked about uh, in the last episode with Strawberry Mansion, how the dreams and dreams can be tough because people's dreams are so unique. And I said, some dreams, like the dreams in Strawberry Mansion, that's not how dreams are for me, but maybe the ones Sopranos are for me. With memories, I think it's more relatable. And maybe easier to kind of play with and watching the memories fade out from from Jim Carrey and the panic he has as he tries to eventually realize he actually wants to keep those memories is really well done by Gondry um I, I really I love how he doesn't use a ton of CGI you can tell a, a lot of it are either practical effects or continuity effects where they're just changing kind of what you're seeing and of quick edits I like all that and the script is fantastic it won the Oscar uh that year for best screenplay, a best original screenplay, it was him and Charlie Kaufman uh, and Pierre Bismuth who who got the the Oscar that year. Charlie Kaufman, of course, wrote Being John Malkovich, Adaption. I didn't love a Synecdoche, New York. Um, it didn't quite do it for me. And Gondry hasn't directed a film since 2015, which is too bad. When those guys work together, I think they can do some really great things. You know, Spike Jones was also in kind of that crew with Kaufman when they did Being John Malkovich. But for me. All the Kaufman, all the Gondry. Gondry also did uh, Be Kind Rewind, which is an interesting movie. But out of, out of all of those movies that Kaufman and Gondry have done, either on their own or together, I think Eternal Sunshine is the best. And it's funny because that 2005 Oscars, so the, the 2004 movies, um, what a stacked year that was. And, but you still had some... I, the Oscars got it somewhat right with the nominations, but then I think really missed some. So the best picture that year, that was the year Million Dollar Baby won. But the other nominees were The Aviator, Finding Neverland, Ray, and Sideways. And The Aviator is very good. Uh, I think Finding Neverland is good. Sideways is, is good. Uh, I, think, I don't think Ray is a very good movie. In fact, I think it kind of sucks. It's trying to jam so many years into a two-hour movie. The performance of Jamie Foxx as Ray is fantastic. Uh, but the movie itself is not particularly good. I would have much rather have seen Collateral get that spot. Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind get that spot. Hotel Rwanda. Like, they're better movies. And I think all three of those movies are also better than Finding Neverland and better than Sideways as well. It is a surprisingly stacked year. It was also the same year as The Incredibles, Spider-Man 2. I mean, those movies 
I don't, I don't necessarily have a spot for them in my best picture list. Uh, but those are movies that people do really enjoy. And it just shows you that that was a really decent year for movies that I don't know if people talk about enough. I think 2004 was a, a quietly, uh, a sneaky good movie year. But Eternal Sunshine, though, is one of the best that year. My favorite is still Million Dollar Baby. I know, I know as time has gone on, people aren't maybe as favorable of it as they were in the moment. Uh, in that year, that year it won, it wasn't a controversial pick, but I think now looking back, some people aren't, uh, as impressed by, it. I still think the movie is great. I still think it holds up. It's, it's such a great film, but eternal sunshine is right there with it for me. I, I, I think this is a really good movie. I said, it gets an A minus for me. I don't know if I find the side story with Kirsten Dunst and Tom Wilkinson and Mark Ruffalo is interesting. It's not necessarily bad. I just think the Carrie Winslow stuff is so fantastic that anytime you're kind of drawn away from them, it loses some steam for me. The Elijah Wood character is really interesting. He plays Patrick, who is one of the more evil characters in movies because he's doing something that people typically don't have the power to do, and that is manipulate someone's memories and impose on their private thoughts. Uh, and doing it for simply his own personal gain. I don't know if that character gets dealt with enough. I think that character is... And Elijah Wood is very likable character on screen. I remember, he was, even as a kid, he was in that movie The Good Son. And, like, Macaulay Culkin was the bad guy, not Elijah Wood. Like, Elijah Wood played a hobbit. Like, people like Elijah Wood. But he's really a despicable person in this movie. Like, he's doing really horrible evil things and manipulating Kate Winslet in such a unusual way, but still kind of a brutal way. Um, so I, I, I like having a, like a villain there. I just wish he was, I just wish the script would kind of show him to be the villain that he actually was. Um, I feel they kind of half measure that a little bit with him. This will be the fourth best movie I've seen so far for this project. Really good. Eternal Sunshine, Spotless Mind. Fantastic. The other movie I saw was Breaking Bread. This is a documentary about chefs in the Middle East, uh, specifically uh, Israel. And it kind of deals with how Muslims and Jewish people, they have food in common. And this showcases uh, three pairs of chefs, one being Muslim, one being Jewish. And they... They just have a real common respect for each other. They're doing this all for a festival that is um, coordinated and run by a doctor. I'm going to mispronounce her name. I'm sorry. Naf Antamina Ismail. And she is the first uh, Muslim Arab to win Israel's master chef. And she really believes that the way to peace is by small measures, small moments. Uh, so, you know, food is something that everyone enjoys. So if you can have a few people kind of sharing food or sharing how they make food and just sharing a respect uh, for each other and, and their talents, that can slowly bring peace. Um, and, and, you know, you watch this documentary. It was, a, it was an interesting documentary. It's, it's, it's good. I'll give it a B minus. I don't know if it's necessarily something that should be in theaters. I think this is a would work better on Netflix or even on the Food Network. Um, it's really interesting to see people in that area and how, like, especially being American, all you hear about is just the problems in the Middle East. You hear about how the Arabs and the Jewish people don't like each other. They're always, you know, the Muslims and the Jewish people want to kill each other all the time. And it's like, watch, it's like, no, these people are just regular people. And like, you're interviewing, they interview some like restaurant owners and they're like, no, like when we're at war, it's horrible. Like not only are we at war, but my, I had to shut my business down because people were afraid of leaving their house and no one came to my restaurant for four months. Or it's people who are just tired of the extremists on both sides. Um, and, you know, especially as America gets more and more extreme with our political views, um, it's kind of a frightening look in a way. It's like, oh, I, I, 
don't know. I think there's something to be said for some moderation. Just like hearing the other side or just talking to the side or just kind of putting politics aside. It doesn't always need to be about politics. Sometimes it can be about food or about whatever your hobby is or your or your business is. You know, if you're looking for something that's going to be uh, kind of a tumultuous documentary, like this isn't it. It's a very, even though the stakes are so high with it being, you know, Middle East issues, um, the people involved, there's no fighting. It's just people getting along and having respect for each other and kind of talking about kind of the same things over and over again. Um, but it's like not a bad message. It's a, it's a message of, like I, like I keep saying, but like respect and peace and learning new things about each other's culture. Like Dr. Atamina Ismail would pick foods that these pairs wouldn't typically have made, or uh, maybe the uh, the Jewish chef is showing the Muslim chef how to cook something that they make in you know in their culture, and then vice versa. It's like, oh wow, this is really good. This is interesting. How do you how would you fold that dough and things like that? And it's it was cool to see them learn from each other. Um, but like I said, it's it's a smaller, quieter movie. And I don't like I said I don't know if necessarily this is a, a must to check out in theaters. But if you see this playing on a streaming service, hopefully you will down the road. I would recommend seeing it. I'm going to give this a B minus. I'll be back on Thursday with Ned Snark. We're going to be talking about In the Heat of the Night, the Sydney Poitier movie. I'll also be talking about the Newburyport screening room, as well as the worst person in the world. That's that movie from Norway I talked about earlier. I will talk to you folks then.